Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. and welcome to Nightlight. It's going to be an amazing evening, um, especially as we're coming into a time of awakening on many different levels. I have with me tonight an amazing author who has written, obviously, an, an amazing book. I have Richard Kretz here with me, and he's written a book on the alchemical search for the unified field, using Pythagorean, Hermetic, and Shamanic journeys into invisible and etheric realms. He deals, he details an illustrative geometric approach for the creation of the Philosopher's Stone. I think something that, that has not gotten enough, enough press, so to speak, um, and it's coming into its own, and, and it's, it's a fascinating journey. Um, using an oblong square created by three overlapping circles with the center circle squared, the same shape described in Freemasonry as the form of a Masonic lodge. He compares his diagram to the depictions of the stone in Mesopotamian, Egypt, Egyptian, and Hindu cultures, as well as floor plans for European cathedrals, showing how the sacred geometry of the oblong square elucidates man as mind, body, and spirit, encapsulating a soul. Describing the relationship between the alchemical oblong square and the electrical circuit of the brain, he details the operative process of the Philosopher's Stone, likening it to the servo mechanism of the third eye located between the twin pillars of the cerebral hemispheres. Don't get don't get too led astray by this this language. It describes what we're doing, but we're going to talk in very simple terms. He explores how to navigate the twin pillars of the brain to find equilibrium, the third pillar. When the energies of our third eye are in equilibrium, 
We resonate as a harmonic waveform generator, and he shows how this can be achieved through meditation and the synchronizing vibration of vocal mantras. Drawing on the work of the Rosicrucians, Freemasonry, Hermeticism, Sacred Geometry, and Native American Shamanism, this book presents an allegorical quest for the Philosopher's Stone and a path for attaining enlightenment. The essence of the book is about how we can transform to become better than we once were by improving our conversations with God through prayer and meditation. Readers benefit from a vast amount of knowledge presented in a way they can connect, can, can connect with, understand, and practice. Richard has a fascinating background. He's worked in the telecommunications and IT industries and then studied transcendental meditation and later spent three years with a Native American shaman. He is also a Freemason and has held many, many leadership roles within uh, that, that particular organization. He also, not that it's of note to most of you, but it is to me, he lives in Churchill, Tennessee, which means he lives really near to me, kind of. It's a long state, so maybe he doesn't live as close as it seems. But I, I think that one of the magical things about this book is, while we all are looking towards ways to better ourselves and stretch ourselves and, and reach into the many gifts and talents that we have within us. He gives you, depending on what your background is, he gives you lots of different ways in order to achieve and understand the journey that we take internally in order to manifest externally some of the magic that we carry within. So I hope you I, I know you're going to enjoy this discussion. I have had the pleasure of talking with him several times off off the air. So having him on the air is, is definitely a thrill for me as well. Welcome to the show, Richard. Well, thank you, Barb. That was a wonderful introduction, and I feel honored and privileged to be a guest on your show. Well, it's, you know, nightlight means, you know, I, I like to hope that in many ways I can provide uh, a flicker of light for people who are searching and with all the different authors that, that have come on the show everybody has a grain of truth or two and so that so that you know there's something to pick up no matter no matter what the title of the book is there's always something there of a spiritual nature that for those you know for those with eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand um, can can gather it and you know not that I've not that I've evolved very far, but um, this is how I journey towards enlightenment within myself. And, and you know, hopefully scattered along the pathway are, are hints and, and, you know, sort of grains of sand and, and elements of truth that others can pick up, incorporate into their lives, and, and ha- help them to evolve in whatever direction towards enlightenment they're taking. And after 15 years... Um, we're still going, and your book I found fascinating, and, and I'm so glad that you wrote it. Thank you again. And I would agree with you wholeheartedly in that, you know, we're just, you know, individual candles with small flickering flames. And by ourselves, we can cast a certain amount of light. But what is is terrific is when we're able to get together and combine our life, that, you know, 
really provide a lot of illumination. And that's what we should be trying to do as we move forward on our journey. Well, I think what you've done with the book is fascinating. You've taken a whole whole bunch of different modalities and you've explained the pathway within and and you've you've wound it all around the philosopher's stone and and of course that's something that that so many of us have heard about fleetingly and and the search for it of course but but in many cases in my, to my mind understanding the philosopher's stone is more important to me than finding the ark of the covenant or or the chalice or or the spear of destiny or, or any of those because it it's it's an inner tool it's not an outer tool and and i think what you've done with the book is is show people how the 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 source the the the, the search for enlightenment the search for ascending within our own consciousness towards a greater connection to the source is something that we do within ourselves it isn't something that we do you know with our hands mechanically and 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 not only do do the different modalities that you've used um they all they all show people flat out exactly what's going on but but of course my my love of all of your material that that you have you shared with us is is your journey with your shaman the the shaman that you studied with with Charles but before we get into that um the title of your book is a tongue twister but um it's it's the alchem- alchemical search for the unified field um <clears throat> can you explain what the unified field is for those who are wondering out there because i i've you know given the title to a lot of people and when I say it's the search for inner inner awareness and transmutation and transformation, that they get. But the unified field is not something that is commonly thrown around in everyday conversation. So can you kind of explain a little bit of that for my listeners? Um, you know, if we're talking about the unified field, yeah, we can get deep into, you know, uh, quantum mechanics, quantum physics, uh, discussion of Einstein. But I prefer to try and keep it, you know, as simple as possible. Really what the unified field is, is a search for oneness, a search for our place in the universe. And my search began, you know, many years ago uh, with questions. And I, I, I began this quest. And I felt like Don Quixote, you know, when I started off, you know, chasing windmills because I couldn't get answers. So it was, you know, incumbent upon me to, you know, pursue my quest, you know, and pursue uh, answers to these questions. And the reason that I wrote the book was because I knew if I had these questions, you know, other folks, such as your listeners and my readership, had the same questions and the same frustrations. So, you know, what I was really looking at is how can I communicate the quest, the experience, 
you know, in a way that folks can understand and and benefit from and and put to use. So the layout of the book is is pretty straightforward. Um, when you're reading through it, you'll find that the majority of it really addresses the operative mechanics of the stone of meditation and prayer. And with that in mind, you know, the thoughts are that the better we can understand how the mechanics of something and how it works, then the better we can have a rapport or a communication uh, with the microcosm, with God, with deity. And to exemplify that, then I transition over to the use of my experience, you know, with a Native American shaman, that shamanic experience, which is very nature-based. Um, and it was quite eye-opening. And that provides the application of actually what we learn on how the stone and how meditation works. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it, it does. I think that, that all of us have had, have had, are having those same, same questions constantly with, within our minds. And those who are, um, I call them seekers, and, and I, I've been a seeker all my life, um, <clears throat> looking for answers in, in so many different places. And on an intellectual level, I mean, you nailed it. You you got you you've got it down to the tree of life. You've got it down to the chakra system. You've got it down to um, you know the Pythagorean uh, stuff. You've 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 put all of these. Um, I would I would call them um, you know these all of these ways and functions of of understanding the process. But it it it, it wasn't until I got to the the shamanism that it became a practice rather than an intellectual pursuit, and and for oh, me, and, and and so you know when I got to Charles, the the shaman that you studied with, um, I fell in love with the process. I mean, I I understand intellectually all of the other stuff. But when when it came time to to his practices, it, it it then became obvious to me that that we are we are the um, philosopher's stone, and 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 it's within us to bring it into reality to be become a living expression of what it symbolizes, and you know then everything fell together beautifully, and I I just. How did you find, how did you know that you had to look for um, the spiritual, the shamanic material? How Did you stumble across it, or was that something that you just came to naturally? That was, to be rather frank, uh, serendipitous. Uh, it was not something I sought nor expected. Uh, my emphasis, because I've been a seeker as many uh have for most of my life and i became entrenched in you know the western thought of, you know a way of thinking and, and doing things uh with regard to 
occultism and things. And I, I found that, you know, I kept hitting my head on this ceiling and I'd go so far and I couldn't advance any further. And then I found with the application of, you know, the Eastern mysticism, uh, Vedic science, uh, again, you know, that seemed to help, but I encountered the same difficulty. Um, so, you know, basically when you're discussing Western thought, you know, it's hermeticism uh, and those things. And then with the Eastern mysticism, it's the Vedic sciences uh, pretty much out of the Indian subcontinent. But then, you know, uh-huh. shortly after I was raised as a Mason, I met Charles, and it was quite by accident. And we struck up this friendship, and he slowly introduced me to uh, shamanism. I mean, I'd had an interest, you know, in nature most of my life. You know, as a kid, I ran around in the woods and the fields and that kind of stuff and was curious about many things. But it wasn't until I met Charles that I was able to really gain an understanding of and an appreciation of what I was looking at. You know, what was nature about? What did it have to offer? You know, how could I benefit from it? How can others benefit from it? So these nature-based life lessons, this experience with Charles, really provided, you know, the opportunity to bring everything together. And what I found, Barb, is that regardless of the approach you take, whether it's through, you know, Western thought, Eastern mysticism or shamanism, they all have, you know, four similarities. Their only difference is that the approach they take may be coming at a a problem from a different direction. So what Uh does that mean to you? It means that, okay, if you're into hermeticism or the Vedic sciences, that you know, maybe you're only going to go so far with it, you, you, and you end up hitting your head on the ceiling like I did and get frustrated because you're not advancing. You're, you're missing something, even though you can't put your finger on it to know what it is. But maybe if you back up and, and take a different direction and apply one of these other methodologies, you know, you don't have to keep banging your head on the door. You know, maybe you can just walk around the wall. And the other thing is that for every door, yeah, or, you know, if you can't, if you're banging your head on the door and you can't get through it, more often than not, there are windows of opportunity that are open. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of perception, uh, perception, saying, okay, you know, I can't become consumed by this one methodology. Maybe if I can back up take a break, and get a different perspective and try something else, I'll find a solution. It's that simple. It is, and I think that's where everybody stumbles. And, and you know, so many people think that it's, it's, it's hard. It, it's, so many people think that it has to be hard and have, you know, 20 different levels to it in order for us to to understand it and to apply it to our lives. And I mean, I, I have met people that, that 
you know, the rituals they go through to get to where they're going um, are just so laborious that, that you know, it's a surpri- I, I'm surprised that they, you know, go through all of the rituals. And yet, what, at the very end, it, it basically comes down to um, a form of meditation or prayer of some sort that enables you to let go of the mundane physical world and and drift into and become a part of the etheric spiritual world and it just for me um it it it's always amazed me so much that that so many people are able to just blend in with nature and become a part of it and and yet other people just don't understand what the process is and it it's different strokes for different folks and uh, I, I think that the thing that has always amazed me and, and it, it sort of clicked on in, in my head and, and sh- shone light on a lot of stuff was um, that that uh, phrase over the Oracle of Delphi, you know, to know thyself. And and basically, I tell everybody that, that you know, your path is going to be different from my path, but that doesn't mean we all can't get to the same place ultimately. It's just... Everybody's right. pathway is a little bit different. Um, I, you right. know, I've, I've had it's a number. It's a journey. It's not. Yeah, it's yeah. a journey. It's not a destination. You know, and as you're as you're stating there, the the path we take it may be different, but you know where we end up ultimately may well be the same. You know, we're all seeking the same thing. Well, and I tell people, just just like you said, it's the journey not arriving, because once you arrive, you will, after you've caught your breath, you'll realize there's another mountain to climb, so that your right. lifetime is a, you know, it, your lifetime's a continuous journey, and there's, there's a point right. to every different stage of it. Exactly, I, and, you know, in the book, what I alluded to, or the analogy that I use is it's climbing the mountain of knowledge and and seeking the flower of wisdom you uh-huh. know uh, that's as, as succinct as I can make it well and I think some of the um, journeys that, that Charles the, the shaman that you worked with I mean it, at least one of those journeys you went on literally was to find a flower for him Yes, it was, and I I felt that that exemplified, uh, you know, the entire experience with him. You know, it was just sending me out on this vision quest to find a flower. It was, you know, in the middle of nowhere. And when I found it and came back and I showed him a picture of it that he had asked for and the school told him about it, you know, his reply was, you know, I'm, I'm happy that you found it. You know, so, you know, and the other question that folks have really is, okay, well, what is this mountain of knowledge? Um, it's the the acquisition of knowledge, the acquisition of experience, you know, uh, and being able to put it to use. Um, that's what we're all really seeking. But it's the prudent application of that knowledge, uh based on our experiences, that helps us to acquire 
wisdom. Exactly. You know, it's the same basically exactly. as education and training. Education is something that, you know, you're that's imparted in a classroom environment where, you know, there's discussion of philosophy, of concepts, of theories and ideas. But it's not until you actually get out into the real world and put that knowledge to use and acquire the experience that you are also able to make, you know, good decisions, which is a result of the wisdom that you have acquired. Yeah, and, you know, I think, too, everybody finds their own wise person i guess it's a better name you know a better name for it um he was he was definitely a very magical person he was a very wise person he was a very spiritual person he probably um was here to bring insight to the those few people that that you know actually were seeking it and the fact that he was on a mountain and you had to go in search of him um, you know, it speaks volumes. It, it's sort of like, you know, he, he had great wisdom, yet he lived very simply, and he didn't on the mountain anyhow. And you know, it, it's it's you you were at a place where you could recognize that he had the spiritual wisdom, and you were there to be to learn from him, and 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 you spent a great deal of time. Three years, I think you said that uh, you know he took you through awakening inside of yourself, and you know that's what people are looking for. But so so many times people want to either take a class and get and get a certificate, or you know they want a quickie. You know, you know, just teach it to me, and, and then you know, thank you, I'll move on. But that's not how you learn the spiritual the spiritual elements of life. No, traditionally the way it works is that, you know, when the time is right, uh, the teacher will appear and not before. I mean, you know, I've had, I can't tell you how many people have asked me to teach them. And, Uh you know, the thing is, is if someone has to ask to be taught about something, uh, then they're not going to be a very good student. They don't have uh, the inner desire. They don't really want it bad enough, you know. Um, and, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, again, you know, when the time is right, you know, the teacher will appear uh-huh. and, and not before. You don't go in search of a teacher, you know, again, you know, the teacher will be available when the time is right. I think that there was a wonderful story, and I'm, and you know, exactly where I found it, I'm not sure, but there was a a, a teacher who had people that were studying with with him, and it was of a spiritual nature, and they would sit in a group, and people would ask a question, and he would answer it, and this one man asked a question, and the teacher didn't answer him. And then he went on, and, and this went on for months and months and months. And he finally asked the teacher, you know, I, I, I keep asking you a question, and you keep 
not answering it. And the teacher said, you haven't asked the question right yet. And when you ask the question right, mm-hmm. you'll have the answer yourself. And to me, that, that, that blew me out of the water because, you know, if you're looking for something that hard, you can't pose the right question until you actually know the answer on some level inside of yourself. But, Absolutely. you know, you know it's, 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 it's very zen. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was in that particular line that 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 story came out, and it made sense. It's not it's not you can't just sit down with somebody who's really really wise and very evolved and say, "Well, teach me spirituality," and that's not how it works. You you experience it, you learn it by doing it, and you know making it a part of your everyday reality and. But I, I just, I, I loved, um, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say absolutely. You have to, the student has to have a very vested interest in what they, in the journey that they are about to embark on, you know. Uh-huh. Um, and, and that means they have to have some skin in the game. Uh, they can't just lay it all on, on the teacher. True, true. But I think isn't life a spiritual journey? And most people don't realize that every day presents them with so many different elements of spiritual wisdom that all they have to do is be perceptive to pick up on the synchronicities and the coincidences and and how nature can can give you answers to questions. And I mean, and I think that your your journey with Charles. Um, was exactly that, that, that he, you became more and more aware of how attached you are to nature and how nature will speak to you if you're observant enough. Absolutely. I think was, was, you know, and was it your... Go ahead. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, as I said, absolutely. Uh, you have to be very in tune with yourself and with nature and aware of the world around you. Um, I'll I'll share an experience that I had many years ago, probably 20 years ago by now. Um, I was leading a hike, and I had several photographers with me. Um, It was a nature thing where we were taking pictures of landscapes, of flowers, birds, all kinds of stuff. And this reporter had been detailed to tag along. And, you know, as we're getting towards the end of the day, she she asked me why I spent so much time learning about nature. And I, I just had this quizzical look and didn't think twice about it. And I says, well, this is where God, this is where deity is. You know, this is my church. When I'm yeah. out here with nature, you know, you know the aroma of of the flowers, uh, the leaves and the trees. You know, that's the incense. When I hear the birds and the insects buzzing, uh, you know, that's the choir singing. You know, those are the hymns. You know, uh, the sky above me is you know vaulted. 
you know, this is a cathedral. You know, this is where God lives. So when I'm with nature, you know, I'm I'm at church because when we go to church, we have uh, a high degree of reverence, at least we should, and respect oh. for what is around us and for the experience. Exactly. And I think so many people don't understand that. I know um, I, I garden. I'm, I'm, I'm a flower gardener. I, I don't have as much luck with vegetables, but, but flowers for sure. And I used to, um, in, in the home that we had where, where I grew up, um, there were streetlights on two sides of the property, so I could work in my garden, you know, through the night and have plenty of light in order to, you know, plant and prune or do whatever I needed to do. And those were the most magical moments I think I have ever spent, where where I was, there were no cars, there was no noise, there were the crickets and the foghorns, foghorns uh, that were uh, on the water that was just beyond our property. And it was so holy an experience that that it it sometimes brought me to tears just standing there and listening to the crickets and and you could hear the the plants grow at that point in time and and it was oh, yeah. it was a oneness it it was a oneness that was just so profound that you know my mother said to me why do you prefer to garden at night and i said well first of all i'm allergic to the sun but but um I said that's when it's most peaceful. That's when I, that's when I talk to the plants. That's when I talk to the little people. That's when I, you know, work with the ground and and the ground is moister there than and and cooler to work with. So it, it's to me a better time to plant rather than putting plants in a in soil that has been baked hard by the sun. And you know, she she said, you know, that makes a great deal of sense. <laughs> Most definitely, and I'll, I'll share a couple other things here. Um, one of the things I, I emphasize in the book is that when we're meditating, that we have to be properly grounded. And I'm very clear that, you know, to be properly grounded, you have to be in direct contact with the earth, that you don't have your shoes on, that you're preferably barefooted, you know, so that you're able to, you know, have that connectivity to be grounded with the earth uh, because it's just like with lightning, you know, all that energy from the earth and then it, it, it goes upward from there, whether it's to your mind or to the sky. Um, the energy comes from the earth and it moves up through our chakras, through our bodies, you know, to our mind. So to if you're going to have effective meditation or effective prayer, you know, that's an important consideration. Uh, the other thing in line with what you were sharing is we have a, a, a rather large greenhouse, and when my wife works in there, it doesn't matter what time of year it is, she will go in there and she works barefooted for the same oh, reasons yeah. that you shared. Um, and she'll just, you know, if we're growing vegetables in there at that time, she'll just, you know, barefooted, sit on the ground, and pick a couple vegetables and eat them raw. And 
if you've not tried that, you will find that it's a wonderful experience. Uh, the taste of your labors, you know, growing something uh, in that way, uh, it, it just passes anything that you can imagine getting from the store. And I don't care if it's a oh, radish, yeah. a piece of lettuce, a tomato, uh, what have you. Um, it, it's something that is definitely worth trying. But, again, it comes from being grounded. And she's often been asked, well, how are you able to grow such marvelous vegetables? And it's because of that connectivity with the ground that she has that they're growing in. Oh, yeah. When um, for the longest time, well, for 50 years, I lived in the Northeast. And around um, eh, around the January time frame, January, fe- uh, February, um, I would go to a local nursery, and they saw me coming every time, and it was like, oh, here comes that crazy, crazy lady. I asked them if I could please just take off my feet and walk through their greenhouse. And, you know, because that was warm and the earth was warm, and I would spend hours just walking around the plants in my bare feet because I missed that connection. It was it was so amazing that... Um, you know, and, and they they would let me do it for about a month, and then my ground would be, you know, so that I could actually walk on it. But, you know, three feet of snow made it hard to get to the ground. But um, <clears throat> it was it was an amazing time to, to be, to have those kind of gardens and be able to do that. And, and when I was in Connecticut, um, I, I wanted to create, my own walking walking meditation path around my garden and stuff like that and I was going to do it slowly because it was a very large area but I, I did it all in one year and that the second year of my garden it was all perennials it looked like an old English garden that had been there forever because I was out there constantly talking to the plants and constantly working with them and constantly you know becoming one with them and when you have that experience, you have magic in your hands. It's just amazing. Absolutely, you know, and that's something many folks don't realize uh, is that, you know, we are all part of the same thing, the same planet. You know, we're codependent. So uh, for example, you know, if you're looking at a, a plant or a tree, um Yes, they set down roots and they can draw their water and their nutrients using their roots. But what extends them are the uh, microcorsial uh, threads of the fungi that actually uh, create about 90% of the biomass of a forest. So it's mm-hmm. these microcorsial threads that provide the connectivity and extend the ability of plants and trees to be able to, you know, sustain themselves, you know, to get their nutrients and get their water. And yet it's these same plants that feed, you know, the animal and insect life uh, and us. So we're all dependent on, you know, one level or another. And when we are communicating with them, you know, verbally or whatever. That, you know, it's just, you know, an added vibration that enhances that ability, you know, uh, and integrates us 
within that environment, you know, to be not just individuals, but part of something that is much, much larger. Well, I think that, that you know, your book does does illustrate how we are a part of, of nature um, to, you know, to, to an extreme degree because we are electromagnetic beings. There is an electricity that you know, that flows through our body that that can connect to the earth, connect to, it can connect to a lot of things. But but, but there is a oneness that is is so profound. And and so many people cut themselves off from the oneness that is around them and and just are focused on, on smaller things so that, so that, in in many ways they 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 don't feel as enriched as they could be now you know for somebody that's not doing this they may have a beautiful life and a wonderful life and they really you know they have their thing in their way and that's that's what's important but i personally believe that it's it's the the one of the purposes of of a physical lifetime is for the spirit to enjoy and be able to connect to the nature around them and other people and 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 feel that oneness that they knew as spirit but they they kind of lost the connection when they became physical exactly you know and as you're saying many folks just are not aware of it or they're not in tune with it but if you look back at at history uh, the ancients were very much aware of it. All of the sacred sites across the globe are aligned with, you know, these uh, ley lines, these telluric sites. Uh-huh. Ask yourself a question. If they weren't aware of it, why would they erect all their sacred sites across the globe, you know, on uh, these intersections of magnetic lines? Um, there has to be a reason for it. And in order for them to do that, they had to be able to sense it, at least at some level, you know, which escapes us today. Well, yeah, true. And if you go way back in history, I mean, even communities had um, a group energy, a group mind that were able to telepathically connect to one another. We have lost so many of the the gifts and the talents that that are inherent within all of our bodies because we've gotten more and more industrialized so that we're not connecting on on the many different levels that we we could if we if we just would pay attention to allowing them to evolve and become a part of our reality uh and and when you i mean everybody has 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 been in places where they feel really good or they don't feel good at all and that's 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 where the energy comes in and the more you become aware of the energy that is surrounding you the more intuitive you become as to places that are good for you and places that are not good for you and 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 it's different for everybody i mean there are places that that you know i just i just don't I don't go because I don't like the feeling I get. And not everybody pays attention to that. And and I think that part of part of what's important 
in this whole process is that you become more aware of what's happening around you and within you and your feeling as to the vibration that is coming off people and places and situations. And once once you start to work with that feeling, then that leads you in the directions that, that are healthy for you. Um, it's It's an amazing feeling to become one with the energetic of, of, of a place or a situation. And it's not something that you learn in a classroom. It's something that you learn by experience, by, by meditation, by writing things down, by being aware. And your book is, I mean, when, when you went on that vision quest, if, if, you, if you can kind of talk about what your vision quest was, was about and the, and the things that you were challenged by when you went through them and how you trusted to your inner your inner sight as opposed to your outer sight. You still there? Richard? Well, he went on a vision quest. <laughs> he was sent on a vision quest by Charles. And um, in this quest, he... he he was told that the mountain would would challenge him three times, and the times yes. that he was challenged. Are you back? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what happened now. <laughs> um, so yes, I'm back. And you wanted to know about my vision quest. Uh, there yes, were please. several. So which one really would you like to know about? Well, I know you were told the mountain would challenge you three times. Um, yeah. Um, okay. I yeah, I had gone on a number of vision quests. Um, the first one, uh, it was you know, they all start off as, as small tests, where Charles would, you know, ask me questions about different plants or different things in nature, and. The first group quest uh, was kind of an accident. It was, uh, he had taught me early on how to grow some uh, native tobacco. And when I had done that and I had harvested it, I made a gift of what I had to him. And without realizing it, it was uh, a very big deal. So, you know, at that point, you know, he's going to dig a little bit deeper and ask me even more questions. And we went out for a walk on the mountain like we normally did. And he, we stopped at a spring to get a drink. And as I was getting laying down and getting this drink, he asked me if I saw something in the water. And it's like, well, what am I supposed to be seeing? And he realized, oh, you're supposed to see a white flower. And so I kept staring at the water. Nope, I didn't see anything. And, you know, ultimately, you know, he told me the name of the flower I'm supposed to see. And with that, uh, you know, I was eventually, after quite an effort, 
able to visualize actually what this flower was and where it was located, and we went and we found it. Uh, that evening, he made a big deal out of it, and we had a ceremony, and I, I won't go into all the details of that right now. It's, it's probably better uh, to read it in the book, but what the ceremony involved was we were in his, uh, oh, what do you want to call it? I'm having a brain cramp here, uh, his sweat lodge. And there were things that were, were done, you know, ceremonially. And he asked me to smoke something, and I didn't know what it was. So I end up having this out-of-body experience uh, where we both turned into ravens and were flying around, which was, you know, that was a bit of a trip, I have to admit. Um, and with that experience, it was an awakening. Uh, so I was able to get very in touch with my deep inner self. Uh, there's a whole myriad of things that you go through in an experience like that. Uh, it can be very frightening. It can be very rewarding. Um, and it's also very dangerous. But, you yeah. know, that was the first. Uh, so that that was... You know, something, and again, that's related in the book. Uh, but I think the most interesting experience uh, involves one where I'm pretty sure it was on a, uh, a solstice where that evening we had gone up to a rock. Actually, it's a cliff on the top of a mountain that has a spectacular view to the west. So we were there observing the setting sun on the solstice. And that is a time, when you're looking at the equinoxes and the solstices, that's when the earth and sky come together. When the upper world fits with the lower world and the world that we live in, that's when they all come together and have their discussions. They're united. So we did our, our ceremonial thing there, and once it got dark, we began uh, quite a trek at night, uh, about 12 miles, maybe 14. I, I don't recall off the top of my head, but it was across the, the ridge of a mountain. And during that... Uh, I won't call it a quest, but that experience. Um, there were encounters with uh, a den of rattlesnakes. There was a, a bear, and there were coyotes. It culminated by going into some clefts of rock called the channels. And once in there, you know, I must have passed out and had been out for a couple of days anyway. Um, why, I don't know. But essentially, it was a place of death and rebirth. And when we're uh -huh. on not just a shamanic experience, but when we're dealing 
with the occult, and by occult I mean things that are things or experiences that are hidden. We must die before we can be reborn. So while I'm in these crevices, uh, these channels, um, theoretically, you know, it was a death experience where I had gone to the upper world and then to the lower world and then was reborn. And once that occurred and right before sunrise, we emerged from the, the crevices and watched the sunrise, I realized that it was the place, it was actually the physical place where we had been uh, two years previously uh, when we, you know, had flown as Raven. Um, and it uh-huh. was a very, very emotional time. Um, but again, you know, you know that's, that's part of the initiatic experience. Um, and within Native American cultures, you know, with, with that in mind, uh, you know, it involved using uh, some paint on the face, you know. And in this uh-huh. instance, uh, from a shamanic exper- perspective, uh, involved uh, a red, a white, and a red uh, stroke of paint, symbolizing, you know, life, death, and rebirth. And that's what an initiatic experience is about. It's all about life, you know, existence, then dying, and then the cycle continues with a rebirth. So, you know, it's not to be a scary thing. It's just part of that universal cycle, that natural cycle. Um, And what the experience does is it really drives that point home. It really emphasizes that, you know, we are only a small part. We're just, you know, a speck, a microcosm within the greater macrocosm of the universe. You know, that we are, Mm -hmm. you know, just a small part of something that is much greater than we are. Absolutely. But I I think one thing that's important for everybody to realize, from my perspective, um, when when you're going through a a process like this, a journey like this, as, as deeply as you went through, Charles was there with you the entire time. So that so that going through um, an opening like this, I know I know something that has become more and more popular is the ayahuasca, and I would I would caution everybody that that is not something that you do without preparation and a guide. It's nothing to play with, and if you're not ready for it, the universe will let you know. Um, Oh, absolutely, you know, and another aspect to that is many of these experiences do involve psychotropics, and Uh you have to be able to monitor your health. Um, It's not something, as you said, that you want to play around with. Uh, You know, the use of psychotropics, regardless of which one it may be, uh, can be lethal and oftentimes is. Um, And, you know, you may have an allergic reaction. It may be, you know, the dosage is incorrect. There's lots of things that can go wrong. 
so as you're stating, you don't want to do this without a guide. Um, if you're doing it by yourself, you know, that that's an accident waiting to happen. It's extraordinarily dangerous. Well, I think that that so many times people um, think they are ready to open that portal. And if you're thinking you're not in the right place because analytical stuff of the mind doesn't come close to the spiritual portals of spirit so that so that you know i i know people that have taken class after class after class after class and you know i've learned it all i've experienced it all i have certificates to prove it but the reality is that your life is not ready for that experience and right when, when you know what you you can't sign up for something like this you have to truly be ready and be led into it It, that's my opinion right you know and uh, i think you know the way a mason would say it is you have to be prepared for it in your heart you have to be truly duly and truly prepared um if you're not you know it 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 might not go well and again you know i would strongly caution folks that are contemplating, you know, such an experience to do a very deep self-assessment. You know, is it something that, number one, that you would derive a benefit from? Two, are you really prepared mentally and physically? Can you endure it? You know, um, and, you know, really, what is your goal? You know, how does that fit in with how you perceive your life moving forward? Um, You know, is it within your plans? Is it within deity's plans? Um, There's a lot of things to take a look at, as well as, okay, even if you're with a teacher, how knowledgeable and how experienced is your teacher to, you know, be concerned about your safety? at the end of the day, that's really what it boils down to. Yeah, and how how able is your teacher to actually journey with you? Um, because that's part of the whole process. I mean, they're there and to to protect, but not instruct. And that's something Absolutely. I think people it's have to yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a and, shared experience. It, it's not an individual one. Mhm. So it's it's and but the, we yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, the reason that it, it it must be a shared experience is because it goes to the collective consciousness. Okay. Well, you know, it's not so much about you, the individual. It's about being an active participant and member of the collective consciousness. Mm-hmm. Well, also, too, when you go through something like that, in many ways, it, it means you have something to share so that you're being welcomed into a community where you have something to share with the rest of the community as well. 
so that so that absolutely learning you know yeah. learning and growing it, see that's the big deal you were prepared for that you you were stretched to be able to embrace and bring to the table a part of yourself and, and exactly that, that's and when I as you as you read through the book on on that part of it, you will find that you know with every one of those experiences that I had in preparation and as an integral aspect of it, uh, Charles made it a point to give thanks. You know, whether it was using the corn or whether it was smoke. Um, you know, we always gave thanks. And that if I survived and I, I did well, you know, it was not just the giving of the thanks. It was, you know, singing, literally singing, you know, the praises of the the experience, you know, because that became uh, part of my song, my being. And that's something else to, to take into consideration. You know, if you're going to go through this, you know, is it going to be a part? It's going to be a part of you. So you must be thankful, and you must, you know, integrate it as a part of yourself, as your song, your being. Well, I think that's that's one of the the important parts of spirituality, from my perspective, is that that. You know, while one learns and grows, one is also sharing that, and not only you know, and and living the lessons so that you become an example of your belief system, as opposed to it's it's not the words, it's the actions, and you know, not everybody is going to be a teacher verbally but they can certainly become a teacher in their actions and, and the, the kindness, the, generos- the generosity, the compassion, and the love that they, they radiate enhances their reality and therefore enhances anybody who comes within their venue. So it, it, it's yeah. a magical time. And- Oh, it most definitely is. And I think we touched on this the other day. You know, it's not a matter of leading by example so much. It's living by example, and there's a huge difference. Uh-huh. You know, we, we live by example in quietly, you know, doing what we do every day. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, helping others through charity, um just going about our business, you know, and whether we realize it or not, others are paying attention. And that's what they're looking to, you know, more than, you know, a leader. A leader, you know, is someone who can influence others to do certain things. But when we actually live it, that's a big, big difference. Well, absolutely. And and I think that... that you know the the most profound teachers that I've ever um, experienced or or you know rubbed elbows with um, over the last almost eighty years 
have not been standing on pedestals claiming that they are a spiritual teacher. They are, it, it's, it's their energy that they are radiating. It's the simplicity of the perfection that they have within that draws you in and you learn from them. But, but it's, not, it's not something, you, you don't have a name tag, you know, shaman here or wisdom keeper here or, you know, hello, my name is keeper of wisdom. I mean, it, it, it doesn't happen that way. And I think that so many people are so into labels and titles that they've forgotten the actions are more important. Oh, absolutely, you know, and, you know, having, you know, numerous pieces of paper on the wall, you know, that sends up a red flag to me, you know, because this person, it it signifies to me anyway that, you know, if a person has to have, uh, you know, a sheaf of a wall that has papers on it, you know, to justify that they are who they claim to be, then, to my mind, they're not living a life of humility, which, as you've pointed out, what most of the true teachers do, uh, you know, within the occult realm. Uh, They're not in there, you know, for themselves. You don't hear them talk about their abilities or capabilities that they've done this or done that uh, or discussed their education or anything. Um, They just simply go out and, and... you know, very humbly, you know, uh, participate in life. And generally, it's helping others without the expectation of acknowledgement or reward. And that, my friend, is true charity. And charity really is nothing more than love in action. They do it out of love. My favorite story of... of that, that illustrates this is is Gandhi. He was at his um, compound um, at some point in time, you know, where you know Dusty rose to his hut and stuff like that. And a woman brought her son to Gandhi, and you know, Gandhi met them, and he said, you know, what can I do? And she said, tell him not to eat candy; it's going to rot his teeth. And Gandhi looked at this little boy, eight or nine years old, and said to her, come back in five days and we'll talk. And she said, we just walked ten miles over dusty roads. Can't you say something now? And he said, no, come back in five days. And so they they trudged back over the miles. And it, it took them all day to get there and then all another day to get home and then Five days later, he they did the same walk again over the dust, barefoot, dusty roads, the whole thing. And they came to his compound, and, and, you know, he walked out of his little hut, and he said to her, how can I help? And she said, we were here five days ago. <laughs> Tell him not to eat chocolate because it will rot his teeth. And Gandhi looked at the young man, and he said, don't eat chocolate. It's going to rot your teeth. And the little boy looked at him and said, yes, sir. And, and the woman looked at, God, looked at Gandhi and said, you could have told him that nine day, five days ago. 
And Gandhi said, five days ago, I wasn't eating chocolate. So that, you know, he had to be able to have the conviction behind his words that would create an action. Yes. You know, that brings to that, that's a wonderful story. And it brings to mind uh, a series that was very popular on TV. I think it was back in the 70s. Yeah, it must have been in the 70s, called Kung Fu with Kwai uh, oh, Chang yes. Kane. Uh, yeah. And if you've watched that series, um, what Kwai Chang uh, experiences is a number of very similar lessons. And here he is. He's a, you know, a, a, a kung fu master, a martial artist that who, when he chooses to be, can be quite deadly, yet, you know, he really prefers not to hurt anyone to, to get involved in a fight or an altercation of any kind. And he's extraordinarily humble. In his quietness, it attracts many, many people, you know, and gains or garners their respect uh, because of the way he lives, which is very simplistic. Yeah, it's... it's um, And this doesn't mean that you have to live in a mud hut or anything like that, but the the essence of the Philosopher's Stone, the essence of, of looking for enlightenment and transmutation and, and ascension within yourself spiritually you know can be can be worked at and addressed by anyone in any stage of life it's just a matter of of becoming that belief if it's important enough to you if you know that there is something more and you are seeking it then you're halfway there it's just a matter of beginning to practice the awareness and and, and the compassion within yourself and that's what opens all of those portals and there's those doors and and that's how we become the philosopher's stone i mean was the philosopher's stone real or 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 was it something that somebody made up because because to my mind um it, it was it was a word that illustrated a concept within every individual as opposed to being a regular stone that could transmute you know gold from iron and stuff like that but you know if we if we work on ourselves enough we could energetically be able to do that so is is that really yeah. is is the stone a representative of a concept as opposed to being a physical one being a spiritual one well, you know, that's, that's a good point and it's a good question um, because the stone in its essence is about transformation, you know, and what I'm discussing with regard to the stone is spiritual transformation. It has other applications as well. But to answer your question, you know, is the stone real? Is it something that's physical, that's tangible? Uh, or is it an idea or a concept that's really indeterminate? Um, but here's the thing, Barb. If the stone isn't real, 
then why have most of the intelligent people, or I shouldn't say most, why have many of the most intelligent, highly regarded people, excuse me, throughout history, you know, pursued, you know, attainment of this stone? You know, there must be something to it. Well, one would think, I mean, Einstein, um, Tesla, uh, to name a few. Uh, it, 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 but it doesn't make sense. I mean, if that's the case, if, if you've got something that has come down through time and we're still looking for it, then there's got to, there's got to be something to it. But, but if... The stone doesn't exist, and all the stone did was represent the the philosophy of it. Then you have to look at some of the other objects that have come down through time, and is it is that the same with them? Ark of the Covenant, uh, you know, the the chalice. I mean, are these physical things, or are they spiritual philosophies that have been portrayed by by a physical? Um, concept and then over time we have forgotten the fact that it is just a symbol and not the reality and and we we're looking for we're looking for a symbol that doesn't exist because the reality is inside of us absolutely you know um you know when i'm discussing you know the stone uh spiritual transformation when we're talking about uh, meditation as a vehicle for the attainment of enlightenment, at the end of the day, really what we're left with is the idea that whatever changes need to be made that can be made, you know, are within ourselves. It's within our inner being. You know, and if we're able to improve ourselves to become better than we once were, that in turn improves our ability to uh, integrate with the universe at large. You know, and that's Uh where we get into the realm of enlightenment. You know, as we started, stated at the beginning of the show, you know, a discussion of, you know, we're each an individual candle, but when we all come together as one, we really illuminate the room, or we can illuminate the world. Um, but it starts with each of us, you know, within ourselves. So that that's where we have to begin. That's our starting point. You know, that's the path that we take the first steps on you know, on our journey. Well, and the fact that, you know, our spirit does incarnate lifetime after lifetime after lifetime for a reason, for a purpose. It's not just a a wheel that is endless that, you know, will go on forever. Um, There is is a, a, a time when we get to that point when we have evolved to the point where where we are using all of our talents and our gifts, where 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 we are, our reality has been so improved because of that. 
I mean, look at look at the tests that they've done with plants that are yelled at and plants that are ignored and and, and loved. I mean, uh, the power that we have within us is profound, and and it it transcends space and time as well. And yet they do these cute little exercises to prove that the energy that we send to a plant, whether we're here or on, uh, on another continent, it, it knows no time or space. It, it knows it is loved and therefore it grows. It knows that it's ignored and therefore it wilts. So so why can't people take that and, and transfer it over to the concept of people to people or people to animals even? Um, when I when I used to travel a lot, I would spend time each day connecting to my animals that were at home, and and letting them know I love them and sending them love and energy and and they never were afraid because they you know I think there was that I I think there was that connection because I've seen it with plants so it would it would absolutely have to be the same with animals and then with other humans and yet we don't seem to take that leap. Why not? Yeah, that's a, a very good it's a fair question to ask. Um you know, folks, you know, we started off by asking about the unified field. And you know, Einstein is mentioned in that line. And what is interesting is that he wrote uh, a letter to uh, his daughter, Alice. And in that letter, he explained that, you know, really, uh, love equates to, uh, you know, his theory on relatively, relativity, which is E equals MC squared. He said, really, the uh-huh. foundation of it all is is love and that's really you know that that's quite profound when you think about it oh absolutely and and again i i i i sometimes most of the time i refer to the human body as as like an avatar like like a like a really expensive car and and how we just don't have the owner's manual to be able to press all of the the buttons and whistles that, that come equipped with it. And and I think that's how we are on a spiritual level. We we are a spirit inside a physical avatar. And while we know that there are possibilities out there, we're searching diligently for many to find how do we how do we switch those buttons on? How do we turn those knobs? How do we, like the Buddha, I mean, he was on one side of the river that was flooding and, and everybody had to go to the other side and everybody turned away for a minute and then there was Buddha on the other side. You know, that's 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 transmutation. That's, that's you know, transporting yourself across a, a, a river. We're all capable of stuff like that. And, and yet Hi. we're searching... You know, we're searching externally for an internal feature, which which is kind of silly. Yeah, absolutely. And if you look at the major religions, you know, across the globe, uh, you'll find that 
the most common element in all of them, without exception, is love. And uh-huh. what Einstein said uh, to his daughter Alice is that love is the most powerful force there is because it has no limit. Yeah. I mean, I I think that, you know, says it all in a nutshell. Well, absolutely. And, you know, when... You know, I've I've interviewed thousands of people, and for for those that that you know have you know that that are spiritually active in the field, um, there is not a one of them that has not said meditation is one of the greatest tools you could have or use, and it's simple and it doesn't cost anything. <laughs> And and I think yeah, some folks get caught up, you know, on on meditation and some of the terms that we use uh, amongst ourselves, you know, for those who are seekers can be scary to those who aren't familiar with the journey itself. And meditation Uh is, is one of those words that is oftentimes misconstrued. Um, and a word there uh, folks are generally more comfortable with is prayer. And prayer is sure. just a form of meditation. And it essentially does the same thing because we're trying to align ourselves, you know, calm ourselves. Uh, you know, we're trying to device ourselves of, you know, whatever our earthly issues happen to be, uh, and burn off our ego, as uh, Eckhart Tolle would say, to become Uh better than we once were. And when we're able to do that through meditation or through prayer, that's where we're able to find that our communication, our rapport with ourselves and with the universe at large vastly improves. Oh, yeah. I I think that, too, so many people feel they have to labor to reach that that point in time within themselves, and it's so simple. And, and, you know, the workshops and, and all sorts of things that people become involved in, I think the other, the other thing here... For, for me, and I can only speak on a personal level here because um, I have found that this is a journey that is is an internal one. It's it's a quiet one. It's not one that that um, you do in a group. While you can do lots of things with a group energy that are really quite profound, when it comes to your own spiritual ascension, it's it's a personal thing with yourself and again to know thyself um lots of us you know don't always take the time to really understand why we do things how we do things and how it impacts others and i think that's a very it's important for people to realize that uh, we have within us such incredible power and we don't use it um and and so many times we we seem to 
feel that our actions are, are, you know, our words are more important than our actions when it's really our actions that are that, that are an illustration as to where we are spiritually speaking. And and you can't judge somebody else's spirituality. That's a personal thing that you know you 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 either feel or you don't feel, and, and it's it's a journey that everybody takes. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you look at people and you think, you know, well, you know, they're a loser and they're they're probably more in touch with their own selves than we are. And here, another thought is that you know, all journeys begin with that first step, and that first uh-huh. step is self improvement. And as we journey down that path. No one else can travel that path for us. You know, we have to do it ourselves. We have to experience it ourselves. While others may be pilgrims on the same path, you know, their experiences and their reasons for traveling that path and where they may ultimately go could be very different. So, you know, the journey you know, begins within us, and it's for ourselves that we begin it, for no other person, you know. It's all on us. Um, yeah, and, and I think that, that some of the um, rituals that you did with Charles were phenomenal. Um, that, that one where you created a, a circle and you put, perfect ears of corn at north, south, east, and west. And as I, as I recall, it was a three-day process, and you didn't eat for those three days. And then at the end of those three days, you, you roasted the four ears of corn, and you said it was the best meal you'd ever had. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> you're, you're pretty hungry after three days. And we have to offer, and the idea behind offering up perfect ears of corn is you have to, you know, sacrifice the best of yourself, you know, and endure some pain and suffering uh, in order to improve. You know, again, that's part of the transformative process. Absolutely. I I know it's funny because there was a time where, where, you know, if, if I was, struggling or suffering and you know I was complaining and you know saying things to the universe like I know I wrote this up but I was crazy and drunk at the time please take some of this and put it to another lifetime and after years and years and years I've become to realize that when I'm faced with a struggle it's it's a gift because it's a challenge for me to grow beyond and I address challenges so much differently now than I did much earlier in my life and and it's sort of like oh my is it time for another one of those <laughs> there's there's not the the anger and the frustration it's a challenge and it's something and it wouldn't have happened if I wasn't able and capable of growing beyond it and it was a learning experience for me so it's very exciting and um I've, uh, you know, on occasion been accused of being a Pollyanna, but I don't believe that's it. I, I believe that I celebrate the challenges now because it means that I'm at a place of transition. 
and I'm going another level. I don't know how many levels there actually are, but I, I'm, you know, I'm ready for another challenge, and isn't that exciting? Yes, very much so. You know, it, it, what I'm hearing is that you've been able to uh, let go of the superfluities, you know, and or divest yourself of the superfluities of life and the negativities, and embrace a positive attitude. You know, and I like to yeah. say. PMA versus PMS, uh, but, you know, with that in mind, yeah, you got it. Uh, but, you know, the thing is, is, even in the worst of experience, you know, if you have a positive attitude, a positive mindset, you can find something that you can learn and grow from, you know, and that makes all the difference. Oh, Absolutely. But you know your your book is is you know such an example of that. I mean, you have given so many different uh, levels of of how people see things. You, you've given so many different examples as to how everything flows together, whether it's it's from the tree of life or whether it's from the chakra system or what you know. You've you've put it all out there so that. Everybody will find a section of your book that suddenly the light goes on and it's it's an aha moment that's just unbelievable. Which which is what I yeah, loved about and, your you book. Know, you know, and here's the thing, Barb. Um, you know, it took me many years to put that book together. But, you know, I'm at a point right now where you know, I've gone through a lot in my life. I know you have. I know a lot of the listeners have. But what I enjoy more than anything is to be able, is the gift of giving, you know, being able to help someone else out, you know, and see the light in their eyes when, as, for example, we're having these discussions, that all of a sudden it, this light just comes on and they get it. And they're able to start improving their lives. And hopefully, you know, in living by example in that way, you know, they can also, you know, help someone else, you know, and pay it forward. You know, I like to, you know, my current mantra is, you know, let's stimulate some awareness and educate and motivate and inspire people to be best that they can possibly be, you know, in the eyes of God and their fellow man, regardless of what it is. You you know, you don't have to to go out in search of whatever it is you want to be. You know, just be the best you that you can be. And I think that's Uh all that God, you know, really wants from us, you know, is to be the best human being that we can be and we do that through charity and by living by example absolutely and you know i and creativity is also a part of this that if you have a a piece of creativity in your life every day then then you know there's excitement there and i i you know I love music, but I can't sing worth a darn. But I'll sing anywhere, um, even though I can't carry a tune in a, in a basket, because 
I get joy from the music that is created around me, not necessarily by me. And, you know, I I have painted, but I'm not an artist, but I've had a, I, I get joy from it. And so I think doing things that gives you joy, you don't have to be an expert. You just have to have, to have fun doing what you do. And, and so many people... Yeah, Yeah, there was a, a story that came out of Egypt, you know, uh, Oh, we lost him again. Hopefully he'll come back and give us the story out of Egypt. Um, but but this is important, too. The, the, the element of creativity in your life links you with creation. You become a co-creator with the divine. And it doesn't matter what it is, so long as you are getting joy from the experience, whether it is... Um, Whatever it is, uh, there's 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 so many different ways of putting joy into your life, and by doing that, you become radiant because there is magic in your life, and people are attracted to you. And if people are attracted to you, then they will find that that kind of magic within. They'll seek it for themselves because they see how it enhances your life. So that it's really important that that we, and and this is because you're on a spiritual journey. It isn't just um, you satisfying an itch, so to speak. It's it's understanding that when you are radiating joy, you are radiating spirit, you are radiating love, and you are sharing the love that you have inside of you with anybody who comes into your sphere of reference. So it's an important thing to hey, do. Can you? I mean. Yeah, yeah, you're back now. Now, what happened in Egypt? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, the story about Egypt is that, um, you know, supposedly when you die, you had to go before. I want to say it was thought. Uh, I could be mistaken, but anyway, you were asked two questions. The first question, in line with what we were discussing a moment ago, was, you know, have you experienced? joy in your life and the second question was have you provided joy to others you know and you know two very simple questions but they're very very important you know to Uh you know our spirituality about who we are uh and our purpose here on earth absolutely and i think uh, I, I, as when you took your vacation a moment ago, that's what I was basically saying that that, that expressing your joy and, and the happiness that you have within you and your connection to by being creative, you are a co-creator with the infinite, and that links you even more strongly to the source of all creation. So that you don't have to be good; you just have to have fun expressing yourself on on whatever level is most appropriate for you. And I think that that that's one of the important things to ascension and and spiritual enlightenment and all of those big terms that that are thrown around. The reality is that 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 you are a living 
light of joy if you have that joy within you and it radiates from you you don't have to say anything you just have to be and and it's it's a journey that is it is profound and and every lifetime if you have the awareness of of that quality within you and sharing it with other people by by just being joyful within your own life you draw people to you and and by your example they will find that same pathway inside of themselves which will be different from yours but will be just as, just as effective within their own lives and and your book certainly i mean i loved the fact that you know, I, I saw the tree of life in there, and I saw the chakra system, and you know, you you brought it all in, and um, and related it to to things that that we could we could be aware of with the, and you mentioned it earlier, the chakra systems and and the um, the, the ley lines, and and how the energy of the earth calls to us in many different ways. I mean, um, primitive people. Um, primitive, primitive, going way back, would notice where where animals went when they were sick for healing and 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 such, and when they saw how how certain areas really did help the animals get better, that's where they built their village their villages, and that's where they built their centers of worship. And over time, that's where churches and cathedrals were built because the energy there was one for healing and one for peace so that so that we've we've identified those places and we go to them for whatever reasons to soak up that kind of energy and awareness so it's it's really important for us to to understand and relate to it what we do not even consciously is we're drawn to those energetic places like gardens and, and things like that. So it's it's important for us to recognize and be aware. I think that, that your book on many different levels is, is suggesting to people be aware and flow with that awareness and that will be that will take you on the pathway you're seeking for enlightenment. You still there? Yes. Yes, I'm still oh, okay. here. Um, you know, but thank you for your, so much for your your kind words. And uh, you know, I just hope that you know, folks, you know, who are you know, take the time to read the book, you know, are able to, you know, learn something from it. You know, not just the operative mechanics about the stone. Um, you know, but the spiritual. Uh, transformation that's discussed in it, um, you know, so that ultimately they they have found a way, found a tool that they can use to improve their lives and those around them to become better than when they once were, um, you know, and that that's really what my, my goal is. As I stated earlier on, you know, I started out, you know, because, and I wrote the book because I had questions, questions that I wasn't able to get answers for. And I figured if I had questions, many others had the same questions, and I had an obligation to try and help them if I had answers or at least share 
what I had learned during the course of my journey. And, you know, we're all, you know, on the same journey. You know, it's just that, you know, we may be taking a different path, uh, seeing different things along the way. Uh, but the journey, if we're seekers, is essentially the same. It's all about, you know, trying to answer questions that reside deep within us so that we can improve and hopefully, you know, leave a legacy of improvement, uh, you know, once we depart this life. Absolutely. And I think one thing that, that, that is important as well for, for people to hear is this is not a one-shot deal. You don't do one vision quest and, and you are enlightened and, you know, can walk on water. Um, it, it's a constant process. It's a constant journey. And, you know, there, there, there will be moment after moment after moment after moment, initiation after initiation after initiation after initiation. It's not you do it once and then you're perfect. It's you do it once and you have another level to, to conquer. And then you do it again and then there's another level, another awakening. It isn't... You know, it isn't a one-shot deal. You aren't suddenly blinded by the light and can, you know, again, walk on water. Uh, it, it's an opening of a portal to a new dimensional field, if you want, and and that that after a while, the questions start to come again. And, you know, they're bigger questions, but but you're ready. And I think that, right. that you know, it, that's... It, that's it, it's, Oh, I was just going to Go say, ahead. it's a continuous cycle of growth and improvement. Um, yeah. You know, it, it doesn't end. It's it's much like an Ouroboros, you know, the serpent that's eating its tail. It continues. Uh-huh. It's, it just never ends. And, you know, we just keep coming back. And, you know, along with, you know, the idea of Buddhist thought, you know, and reincarnation, uh, we just hope that, you know, we continue to do better, you know, and come back as something that is, you know, at a higher level than where we were previously, um, you know, and not digress. But, you know, it's it's a journey. It's, you know, it's a never-ending quest, a never-ending story. Um, and I don't know, it's... It's what we make of it, um, and it's important, you know, to keep a positive attitude. And if you're looking at meditation, uh, meditation is a vehicle for transformation, for spiritual transformation. And you can't begin meditating and expect that, okay, in the first session or two or three, that you're... <laughs> going to to feel a difference or see a difference or that folks will see a difference in you. You know, I'll just be blunt and tell you, that's probably not going to happen. Um, It takes, the process takes a while. But in time, if you're, you know, meditating or praying, uh, changes will occur inside of you. And as those changes develop and mature, uh, and progress, 
other folks are going to notice those changes too, and they're going to ask you about it, or they'll at least point it out, and, and they'll say, there's something different about you. I don't know what it is, but there's something different. And you know uh-huh. what? That's a good thing. Oh, absolutely. And and but you know it it is we don't achieve mastery. Um and and I would I would probably suggest I I've 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 heard of or met people who who other people would consider our our master teachers or master guides or master whatever and if you spoke with those people they would say hey i'm on the same journey you're on you know <laughs> don't put me on a pedestal i'll fall right off and and it it's it's sort of like you know if if somebody thinks you have arrived what was the point of the journey you know we're all on the same type of journey and if you arrive then then there was no point you know, there was no yeah and and so so why are you here still you know and it's kind of like well I, i'm gonna life. i'm gonna tie this back in i'll tie this back into Charles and my book and believe it or not uh-huh. the tarot cards okay if you're familiar with the tarot and the major arcana the zero card is the fool and if you're familiar for example with the weight deck uh and you're you're looking at that card you know the fool is this young person who's just kind of tripping along clueless not paying into attention to the dangers that are riding uh regardless that the little dog is barking out you know and that's that's how we all begin our journey Every one of us begins this journey, begins as a seeker, as a fool. You know, we're, we're clueless really what we're, where the journey's going to take us, uh, how to frame our questions that we have so that we're asking the right questions. But as we progress down that path, as we climb the mountain of, of wisdom in search of or excuse me, the mountain of knowledge in search of a flower of wisdom, as we, I did with Charles, we end up towards the mountaintop. And that's represented in the tarot by the number nine card, where you've got this cloak-hooded hermit standing on top of a snow-capped mountain holding a lantern up. And he's holding that lantern up so that it will illuminate the path for the fools to follow. It's not that he knows any more, you know, than the fools. It's just that he's further along the path, uh, along that path, and can illuminate the way through his experiences. And that's what Charles did for me. Well, I got the feeling that that you know he was actually sort of passing the torch as well, and. I think in a way you're doing just that by writing of your experiences with him and sharing the process that he went through with you and, and you know, guiding you through this particular gateway of, of your own evolution. And it, it's sort of like 
he's saying, you know, take the experience that you you learned with me and share it with others, and in that sharing, you'll go another step further. You know, a, a lesson, but a isn't skill. That what, yeah, isn't, isn't that what hermits do? Yeah, absolutely. Say, isn't that what hermits do? Mm-hmm. It, That's it's the whole sort point, of like you I'm, know, it's to illuminate others. You're kind of a, um, as he was, uh, a, a stopping point for a moment along a pathway that said, you know, yeah, you're, <clears throat> you're going in the right direction, keep going. And um, you know, that's what I love about the whole, the whole journey because it, it is such an adventure. It's, it's you know, I, there are different phases of the journey for every person. And, and as you go through a phase and you, and you, and you feel yourself growing and expanding and, and realizing that, you know, this is terrific. What do I do with it now? And the answer is live it and find another pathway to go on next, another level, another aspect of the reality to experience. And, you know, each lifetime is just so magical and, and, it, to to not understand that that there's a purpose in in each life each phase of life and and there's magic I mean I I talk magic all the time and I don't mean bunnies out of the hat I mean understanding that that you have within you such amazing power and so many gifts and you know people who do Reiki energy and share with that energy um, you, you know there there's so many different ways of of taking what you've got inside of you and in the in, in the utilization of that energy you become a living lesson for other people and everybody will take something different from it which is really cool that's what i love about the radio show we put we put so much stuff out there and it it doesn't it doesn't matter if no one's listening right this moment the archives are out there forever and people will touch into them and learn from them and grow from them and it's not important that we know i know that happens but i don't necessarily see it happening but i know it happens and and when you've written a book and you've put the book out there you have no idea how many people are going to grow from it and take wisdom from it and you know that's the excitement that's 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 why you're writing another book and and it's it's in your pulling the material together and and getting an answer of sorts for yourself that in that sharing will will in many ways inspire others to do the same within their lives it's so exciting yeah it is you know as as you're uh, what you're alluding to is the Akashic record. You know, uh, yep. you know the information is out there, and it always has been. It's just, you know, whether we're able to tap into it or not. Um, you know, but, you know, I, I consider myself to be extraordinarily blessed to have been able to, you know, met Charles and spend time with him and, and to learn. Um, and yet... As much as I might know, Barb, you know, the thing is, is I've come to the realization I really don't know that much at all. 
you know, there's so much more out there to learn, you know. So our quest doesn't end. Our journey has no end, you know, not, you know, for those who are true seekers. You know, we just continue going as far as we can possibly go with it. And hopefully uh-huh. as we travel that path, you know, we're able to help other pilgrims that we encounter um, and continue to shine the light, to pass the torch, um, so that going forward things are better and better illuminated than they have been in the past. Well, you know, I think that the the time we're living in now is so much more conducive you know, I jokingly say that, that the way I spread the light at one time was being burned at the stake somewhere down the the backward path. Um, it, it's it, it's a time when uh, being someone who's on a spiritual pathway is is more or less accepted, much more so than it has been in the last thousand years, a couple hundred years in this country especially. So that so that. People are, do, are are actually more involved in, in understanding the spiritual pathway than they ever have been before, and that spiritual pathway, while 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 religion is often a stepping stone on it, it's it's not the end game, in my opinion, and and it just it feels to me as though it's a a wonderful time for those who are on a spiritual journey. And certainly your, your, your book is a wonderful roadmap for, for many different, you know, modalities to find an understanding of, of what spiritually they are, they, are, they are going through. And that's what I loved about your book, because it did hit so many different levels and so many different areas that no matter what a person's persuasion is, they can find insight and crumbs to lead them forward on their own journeys. So you hit a broad spectrum of people. Well, again, thank you so much for your your kind words. Um, And I enjoy hearing from different people, you know, their perspectives, you know, their views of these things, and I'll entertain questions. And if they would like to contact me, you know, if your audience would like to contact me, uh, they can do that. I'm available on uh, Facebook, my author's site, at R.E. Kretz uh, on Facebook, and that's R.E. Kretz. Or you can go to my website. Um, There's not much to it right now, uh, but, you know, you can email me, uh, you know, questions uh, or provide comments uh, on that website, and that site is stoned. Templar.com. That's stonedtemplar.com. And I'm always, you know, I always enjoy, you know, receiving feedback and having discussions with uh, folks that, you know, are interested in the book, you know, have read it, uh, or just have questions, you know, in general about, you know, my experiences uh, or, you know, with alchemy, you know, and that sort of stuff. So I'm very open to it. Well, you've also got the Masonic background too, which is which is another vehicle that we didn't get that much into, but it, it certainly is another vehicle and way of finding enlightenment. 
but I want to. We're we're almost out of time, so I I do want to thank you so much. And you know the the book again is the alchemical the alchemical search for the united field, Pythagorean hermetic hermit hermetic <laughs> and shamanic. Pardon pardon the tongue twisting. Um, and you know it it's a wonderful book, and and I highly recommend it. And um, it's been a joy to have you on the show, and I thank you so much for being flexible enough to kind of shove us off for a couple of days so we could get our sound right because it it makes it makes such a difference uh, to be able to to put out material there so that people can really understand it and appreciate it. So I thank you so much again for being on the show tonight. Well, again, thank you for having me. You know, it's been an honor and a privilege to be your guest and to be able to share, you know, uh, some of my experiences and and the book with your audience. This has really been great. Thanks. Oh, you're so very, very welcome. And and thank you. And also, um, please check out the book. Um, My favorite part was, was Charles. And, and who was the shaman. But um, but the other parts of the book were great, too. They were very insightful. You can always pick up something from something, from things that, you know, may not be your your venue in, in entirely, but um, the, the comparison he makes about um, putting the chakra system on top of the tree of life was really quite phenomenal. So please check the book out and... Um, He's given his information, and if anybody has any questions, I'm sure they can they can uh, write him, and he, I, I'm sure he would be delighted to hear from anyone who has a question or a theory. Uh, so good night, everybody, and I will talk to most of you um, next Monday. And, oh, no, Sunday. Solaris and I are doing a show on Sunday, so please check us out there. Not sure what we're talking about, but I I promise you it will be interesting for sure. Have a great evening, a happy Thanksgiving, and um, I I will be talking to you again very, very soon. Good night, everybody.